This is the Go Pack Podcast with your host, Jessica Curtis. Hello, Go Pack Podcast listeners. Today, we're joined by Billy Kirkland, who ran the Intergovernmental Affairs Office at the White House and then worked very closely with Vice President Pence on his political programs. Today, Billy's a consultant for a number of races across the country, including in his home state of Georgia. Billy and I, we've known each other a few years, and I'm amped to have a friend finally on the podcast. Over the years, during your tenure at the White House, you, you were amazingly helpful in putting together a plethora of White House visits, West Wing tours um, for the GOPAC team, uh, for myself, my family, and and uh, we're super appreciative of that. Um, and, and kind of beyond that, I, I want you to be honest and tell me, was it fun showing around so many different people in the West Wing or taking them bowling? <laughs> Obviously, the uh, the level of fun depended on the, the group you were with, but the <laughs> GOPAC crew always meant we were in for a fun time. Good deal. Well, we're appreciative of that and, and obviously our relationship with you. We know you started at the White House in intergovernmental affairs. Is it true that the Trump administration had the most state legislators come for visits than any other administration? I don't know exactly who uh, signed in with the other administrations on and how they kept tally and who, who showed up. But I can tell you that I know that um, we had a number of events early on in the Trump-Pence administration. And what we ran into was when we'd invite certain state legislators to the White House, oftentimes they didn't think the invitations were real. There was an instance where we invited a state legislator and a county commissioner from Pennsylvania. They literally, they had thought the invitation was fake. And we decided, well, this is, this is ridiculous. Like, we've got to figure out something we can do with this. So we um, decided that the goal was two, within two years, we wanted to make sure that we invited every single state legislator and county commissioner to the White House. Not every association or every group is as easy to work with or as streamlined or organized as GOPAC. So when we were working with these different DC groups and they were wanting to be the, the message distributors for what the administration wanted to push out, we found that it was, you know, we, we didn't like depending on, on those other groups. So we decided, you know what, we're just going to invite individually every one of these um, elected officials, specifically the state legislators, we're going to make sure that they have a state-specific day at the White House. So we we went about worked with with groups like yours to help get these organ go back get these organizations and, and these legislators their invites. But we went state by state, and we would invite every state legislator in those particular states to the White House. Typically, the day started with a White House tour, and then we would introduce them to various government affairs, intergovernmental affairs officials from cabinet and sub-cabinet agencies. So they knew what individuals were specifically hired to help with any issues that state legislators would have maybe in the Department of Transportation or the Department of Education. So we just wanted to make sure that these state legislators were connected with all their federal counterparts. Um, those days also usually involved interaction with some cases the president, other cases the vice president, in all cases, multiple cabinet members. And just what we hoped was a, a wealth of knowledge and experience for those state legislators that were able to come to visit the White House. For sure. And, and kind of building on that, explain to our listeners why it's so important to you in, in your position at the White House, why is it so important to have so many state legislators have access to the vice president and the president? Well, we look, we love we love our federal allies. We love our federal our federal friends in Congress and our congressmen and our senators. But look, they're in they're in Washington, D.C. dealing with 
dealing with issues on a weekly basis. And they're not, oftentimes there are state legislators, they're the one, they get recognized at the, at the gas station pump. They get recognized at a grocery store. They get recognized picking their kids up and dropping their kids off at school. They have constituents every day talking to them about what's going on, whether it's a, whether it's an interchange that they, they want to, to get worked on, a stop sign they want put up, the gas prices being too high, inflation driving folks crazy, school and, and education issues. Um, we just felt like they are and had more of a direct connect to the voters that put the president and the vice president in the offices they were in. And and they just we felt like they had, they had their fingers to the pulse of what um, everyday Americans were were either wanting or struggling with or, or hope to see um, hope to see their government help them with. So it was very important to make sure that we had an open line of communication with them and that they knew that, hey, look, you know, if we've got an idea, if we've got a problem or issue, it might not always get solved in the way that we want it to get solved or but we want to make we wanted to make sure that they knew that they had an outlet to voice that concern or that idea. And that that concern or and or idea was going to get heard and get a fair shot. And I think we did a good job of making sure that everybody felt like they could they could come to us with an idea or a problem, and they were confident in knowing that we were going to do our best to uh, alleviate those concerns. Absolutely. As someone who helped put together so many external events, what was your favorite of all of them to put together? Oh, that's uh, I mean, the right answer is they were all my favorite. Right. Yeah, um, get, exactly. Get, get, getting to deal with leaders across the country, especially state representatives from all over. Um, that's that's always the answer. It's always the most fun. Uh, they're always fun. I, I think the, the ones that were the most fun were probably the events where we were able to uh, in, encompass or invite the most people to the White House. The White House is it's a very unique building. You've been there, Jessica, many times with, with the, the work that you do. So, you, you know, that it's it's a unique experience to get to go into the the president's house, which is actually really the people's house. There's thousands of people that will come through there daily on tours and see things. So whenever we were able to, to invite the most people, those were always the most special events or the funnest events because it, it is a, you know, legislators, specifically state representatives, state senators get involved in politics for one reason. And that's, that's to make a real difference. They've seen something that they um, thought or think that they can change or wanted to get changed. So they decided to run for office. Um, they, they go out and they raise money or they put up their own money. They, they sacrifice their talents, their times. And quite frankly, look, the, these state legislators, they probably better wives, better husbands, better moms, better dads and better business owners if they weren't, you know, messing around politics. But they felt like that things were that important that they needed to. So anytime you're able to welcome a number of those state legislatures into the White House and and show them a good time, whether it's bowling or, or simple tours or inviting them to to events in the, you know, in the, in the East room, in the white house or, or in the executive office building. I think those were probably the most fun experiences. Uh, one that stands out. I mean, we were always able to include a, a lot of legislators and even staff of, of particular organizations like go back at the, um, the Easter egg rolls. So that was, I think one of the price stands out as, as, as an event that we were able to include the most legislators. Right on. I know along those lines, you traveled a, an extensive amount with President Trump and, and Vice President Pence, specifically going to, to rallies around the country. So this is a multi-tiered question. One, talk to us about the energy at those rallies, because as a consumer of broadcast cable, from my perspective, you look at a Trump rally and the energy just seems 
crazy. So talk to us about that. And then beyond that, do you do you think rallies still play an important role for winning elections? And what do you think is the most important part for a campaign? I think that any time that you're able to motivate a large number of voters, it's very important. I think anytime you can you can speak to a large number of voters, um, motivate them to do a number of things, one, to go vote, two, to talk to their friends, and three, to volunteer to encourage others to go vote, um, whether that's through you know, direct voter contact, uh, phone calls, whether that's through writing notes, whether that's through knocking on doors, sending out emails. I think those are those are hugely important things. They, they serve as a as a voice multiplier. And also, you know, it, it creates weeks of earned media that traditional campaigns, traditionally, um, you would have to pay for all these things. You'd have to pay for two weeks of television to get the uh, the, the, the the same value as you would from from a, a political rally where you're, you're speaking to thousands and thousands and thousands of, of supporters and, and volunteers. I, I can say that I've um, been involved in, um, in the political world, both professionally and as a volunteer for uh, since college and until the 2015 campaign season kicked off for the 2016 election, I, I'd never seen anything where you show up and there's 10, 15, 20,000 people in a, whether that's an auditorium or a football field or a basketball arena or just a, a large farm and cow pasture to support an individual. Um, so the, the Trump rallies were definitely, definitely unique and they were, they were all across the country. I mean, they were you know, metropolitan Atlanta, South Georgia, Wyoming, Montana. You know, I don't know that there was a place that these things didn't happen at. And when you would show up to these events, the enthusiasm was 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 wild. And, you know, you see them on TV sometimes. I remember the first the first time I actually went to one live. It's just it's just different. People show up in some cases a week in advance. You know, and they literally turn these rally sites into many communities for the week for their folks that are. Or whether they're they're selling merchandise, or whether they're trying to attract volunteers to the whatever campaigns are locally running in those areas, it's just uh, it's pretty wild. And as far as the future, I think anybody that anybody that would discount a, a rally that that attracts you know anywhere from from five to twenty five thousand people, they're they're discounting those at their own peril. It's a huge advantage to be able to attract um, that many supporters anywhere. Um, you know, I you know, I don't I don't have the Nelson ratings in front of me, but I'm I'm sure there are there are multiple uh, news outlets that would love to have you know they could point to Nelson ratings and say, hey, look, we've got at 8 p.m. today or at, at 7 p.m. today or at 2 p.m. on Saturday, you know, we've got uh, 25,000 viewers turning in, you know, specifically for us, you know. So I think that that moving forward, the ability to to if, if there is if there is a candidate that has the ability to draw crowds and supporters the way that um, before President Trump was, that's going to be a huge advantage for them in any any campaign um, election cycle or, or any issues they want to get out there. It's just a uh, just a huge advantage. And now that you're consulting for various campaigns, I'm super curious, how does running each campaign differ? Uh, well, look, I think and you, you guys know this being being involved in this world. There's, you know, whether it's a whether it's a state house race, a state senate race, a congressional race, or, or a statewide race, there are certain things that that are always always the same, right? And the first thing is political races are won by candidates, and so you've got to you've got to have a quality candidate, and that quality candidate has to get his message out to the masses. He has to be able to appeal to voters, and unless you you know have the name recognition of a Donald Trump or already have you know and I'll use Georgia as an example 
um, the name recognition of someone like a Herschel Walker, um, you've got to you've got to really pay and invest to get your name out there, and that th- those the ability to do that costs money. So you know, no matter what, no matter what level of, of office you're running for, you you got to be able to one have a name to put on a ballot, and it helps if that if that candidate is a good candidate, and you've got to be able to raise or have the resources to get your message out and your name out to the masses. And there, there's a number of ways to obviously do that. You, you know, there, there's the, the tried and true method of, of paid media. Um, there's kind of the new, the new different uh, aspects and venues of that paid media, whether that's digital, social, um, so forth and so on, texting. Um, but then you still got your, your mail programs. But the, I, I'd say, you know, one of the things that remains constant is the best, the best voter contact in any campaign you can you can run is still word of mouth. It's still that peer to peer. So it's the the dirty jobs that sometimes people don't want to do, right? It's the knocking on doors. It's going to talk to your neighbors and your friends, saying, "You know what? I know Bert Jones. He's running for lieutenant governor. You know, I've, he's mm-hmm. been my neighbor for the last five years. And if Bert tells you something, you can take it to the bank. You know, so that that direct voter contact, that peer to peer, that door to door, that's still by far the the most effective and efficient uh, what means to contact voters and tell them about your candidate from 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 what we're seeing whether that's the whether that's at the gubernatorial level whether that's at the the county commissioner level or whether that's the state house level uh, it's not the it might not be the easiest but we we do believe that uh, it is it is the most effective but um, it's it's also the toughest it's uh, it's hard to get folks to get get motivated to go knock on doors all day in a in, in in a Georgia fall that's still hot or, you know, in a in a fall in Wisconsin where it's starting to get cold, right? So uh, uh-huh. it's tough. You know, I'd still say that the message, the message and the candidate, those are those are important. And getting that message out to the vast majority of voters is is what uh, what'll what'll ins- ensure good Novembers. Exactly. Kind of on the in the line of, of turnout, are you seeing more folks show up elections and and kind of if no um do you think people are are afraid to get out and vote i think it depends on who you talk to right there's been a lot of and specifically in a state like georgia where we've had a um maybe a little bit of voter fatigue um with with some of the the runoff situations we've recently had um and some of the the news with with um election law and so forth and so on i think people there, there is a little bit of fatigue um, I think that fatigue is more so in, in wanting is felt more in talking about actual um, elections. I think in terms of, of turning out and voting, um, we recently saw in, in the most recent um, primary elections here in Georgia, which were in May of this year, um, turnout turnout were, was at record highs. I, I think the, uh, the narrative of folks not turning out, at least in Georgia, based on our, our last primary numbers, we saw record high turnout, both Democrats and Republicans. We, there was no no lack of, of turning out. And, and voting now in, in, in states like Georgia is easier than it ever was anywhere. We've got three weeks of early voting. You've got Sunday voting. You've got election day voting. You've got the uh, the ability to send in a um, an absentee ballot to, to vote by mail. So the reality is that that there's there's just no excuse not not to vote in in states like Georgia. So um, we have not seen that folks are, are afraid to get out there and cast a ballot. Now I, I think what you will see if you come and you talk to Georgia voters, they tell you, yeah, we're just tired of talking about all this election stuff. It's everywhere. Um, but in terms of turning out and casting a ballot, that is definitely not the case. Right. Digital. Do you, do you think that it plays a larger role now than it did 
previously? Oh uh, yeah, I definitely think it does. I think anytime, and it should, right? I think I think uh, elections are in, in the way that and marketing in general is constantly evolving. You know, I remember back in 2014, I was working on a, a statewide race in Georgia, and uh, a couple of good friends of mine, unfortunately, they were for them, they were working for the other guy, and we'd get together and have lunch every now and then on, on Fridays. You know, we talk about what was going on that we could talk about, and they tell us, "Oh yeah, our guy, he's done two or so." Qantas Club meetings and and he's going to speak at XYZ GOP meeting. What, what are you guys doing? Like, oh, you know, we, we're doing some we're doing stuff. And obviously we wouldn't flip our hand and, and show them our playbook, but you know, th- they were they were running a very antiquated campaign, a very dated campaign. And this is remember back in 2014. Mm-hmm. And you know, we're we're getting reports back from from our, our media buyers on what were back in the early days of, of CTV and OTT and, and all these, these direct digital campaign buying um, techniques, you know, of, of, okay, here are the, here are the 35,000 people that we were able to target in, in the Chattanooga media market where we weren't buying broadcast television, but we knew that we were getting zoomed in directly to X number of homes during Wheel of Fortune or during uh, Chip and Joanne. And, and those were the voters that we were trying to get. So mm-hmm. I think it's definitely hugely important and, and it becomes more and more important because resources are scarce. You know, money is hard to hard to come by and, and funds are hard to raise. And if you can directly target more who exactly you want to be communicating with and know that, okay, you know, if I'm looking for, for uh, men or women between ages 45 and, and 65, and I know that uh, I want to talk to those want, that are driving, you know, a red F-150 pickup truck or a blue Volvo convertible, and, and you have the, the data to target those diff- those people and, and spend your money and talking to them directly instead of wasting on other folks. I just think it's uh, you're getting more bang for your buck and you're saving your candidate money and you're doing it and you're talking and communicating people to people in a more fi- efficient, effective way. Absolutely. Okay. Game of favorites here. Favorite campaign story. Uh, my favorite campaign story. That's a tough one. I, this is this is one I should have probably studied for. <laughs> uh, my my favorite campaign story. You know, it, it, I wasn't even there, but uh, it is my favorite campaign story. It was it was uh, I want to say Halloween in night 2016, and I have you know everybody says that their niece is the cutest niece in the world. Blah blah blah. But I my niece really was the cutest niece in the world, <laughs> and she was super excited because she was flying to New York to go trick-or-treating with her cousins. And she was in her costume and on the plane, they're getting off the plane to go trick-or-treat. And she uh, landed in New York at the same time then Governor Mike Pence landed in, either landed or was taking off in New York um, after a campaign event. And the plane, like there was a, the plane malfunction, there was a will broke or something happened to where they literally had to shut down, you know, a good portion of the airport because, because of this, uh, this, this plane incident. So my niece, you know, she was just livid and she didn't care if Donald Trump was great. All she knew was that she wasn't able to trick or treat. And it was my, partly my boss's fault because she was not able to trick or treat. She was stuck on an airplane for about an hour to two hours and missed trick or treating. So two years later, she was able to, uh, she got invited to a, uh, a, a, a pool party, um, at the vice president's residency, and she let him know that she did not like him at all because he forced her to miss her trick or treating with her cousins in New York. But she, you know, after talking to him and, and getting to pet his dog, she thought he was okay. But she would never forgive him for not being able to trick or treat that year. Huh. How about the time you felt most proud of what you were working on? Um, 
look, that that's kind of a that's a tough question too, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, when when you're when you're working in the White House and you're traveling with the president or the vice president on, on a routine, regular basis, sometimes it's very easy. And this is like anything. This is I'm sure this is the same way for state state legislators. Sometimes you know you, you walk into your state capitol, your legislative office, and it's just kind of it, it gets to be something that you just do every day, and that's that's reality sometimes. But in any time you ever felt like that. Um, something would happen where you'd walk into the White House and you're, you're, you're walking from a meeting and, you know, there's a new citizen swearing in that. And you were able to see how much it meant to those those new citizens to get sworn in or you travel to um, in any type of military installation and you see the you're able to see firsthand the sacrifices that our servicemen and women or their families make. You know, when when you have various events in the White House, just, you know, whether it's a state legislature that, that just recently got elected to the office and they were invited to come something, you can just tell that they're in awe or getting to take folks, a group of folks who who have never been to Washington, D.C. to go bowling in the in the executive office building. You know, anytime you got to do something like that, they were they were equally, equally special because to each and every one of those individuals that were getting to come in there and experience something different at the at the White House, you just those were experiences that they were never going to forget. You know, showing up in uh, also, you know, during during the coronavirus scare, we were told that, that there was no way there's going to be a vaccine that, that's developed this quickly. We were told there was no way we're going to be able to make sure that once the vaccine is developed, that, that there will be a supply chain in effect to be able to get it out. So all those things, large and small, I think those are things that uh, that I personally w- was very proud of. And it's hard to pinpoint one exact moment. I guess I could say that the, jokingly, one of the things I'm most proud of is I, you know, you always hear stories, your kids spilling drinks on the president or vice president when they get pictures with them. I can say that I never had a, an embarrassing moment when my two little children spilled anything at the White House or, or terrorized or tore anything up. But every opportunity when you when you get to showcase what good you're doing for the country or, or how important it is for for the American uh, voters and or new citizens to take part in what's happening at the White House. Those those are all those are all memorable and uh, experiences that you'll take with you forever. For sure. If you could give advice for anyone thinking of running for for office or or thinking of running for higher office, what would it be? I think the, the the first thing that that I say is that the individuals that I've that I've met that that I've worked with or got to know who are the most effective legislators and or just leaders in general they were never looking to run for higher office or, or looking for the next step they were just doing their job and making sure they were doing it well and I think fo- by focusing on what the, the tasks that you have in front of you um, whatever job or or elected of office you you currently hold I think that if you focus on making sure you're doing the best you can do at whatever you're doing now that's going to prepare you most for for that next step and and you're going to find you know while you're not looking to take that next step people are going to be looking for you to take that next step and want you to do that and want to encourage you to uh, to do those things I think that's the one of the the main things that I've learned in, in just general work history but also watching um, certain legislators rise to whether whether that's uh, prominence at the state level or, or the national level so I, I think that's the real takeaway. I mean, and then also, I'd say whether you're uh, you're, you're married or you've got a significant other or a boyfriend girlfriend, I, I'd say make sure that whoever you're with at the time that they're on board for it, your family's ready for it, and they're they're supporting one hundred percent because this is something as, as you all know, being around campaigns and and politics, this is this is never something that you do on your own. It's always something that you do with a team. 
And if you've got a team that uh, is, is seen it from the same sheet of music, it's a heck of a lot easier to be successful than it is if you're out there trying to do it on your own. I thank you so much for taking taking a little time out of your busy day. I know you've you got a lot going on um, down there in, in the great state of Georgia. It's very much appreciated. Billy, thanks. Thank you. This has been the Go Pack Podcast. Learn how we're educating and electing a new generation of Republican leaders at gopack.org.